Amen. What is that story? I think you probably know. Luke chapter 2 is that story. What's where we'll be turning tonight? It's where we'll be turning tomorrow morning as well. We'll look at Luke 2, 1 through 14 this evening. Uh, we'll look at Luke 2, 15 through 20 tomorrow morning. So Luke chapter 2. I uh, got to admit, I probably should have taken my old NIV 84 up here because that's the way I learned it. And uh, sometimes these other translations get a little clunky, especially when it's a passage uh, that you've known for many years and learned a certain way. But I didn't do that. I have the ESV, so we'll, we'll roll with that. Luke 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That verse never gets old, does it? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I, uh, I love a good story. I'm sure many of you love a good story as well. Of course, the best stories are those stories that are told time and time and time again and are almost magical in their ability to warm your heart and sort of transport you to what might be called a, a happy place. Uh, it seems that Christmas, of course, has a, has a way of producing these stories. Think of movies, something of my own generation, but I was, you know, coming of age when Home Alone was released, and there's a Christmas story which plays on repeat on TBS. Is TBS still a station? I don't know, but Christmas story still plays on repeat from pretty much tonight till tomorrow night. There's the Polar Express. Uh, you think of the classics like A Christmas Carol, The Nutcracker. Uh, certainly there are other ones, but all of these are stories which are told time and time and time again and which bring delight and gladness and warmth to those who 
hear them. Now that being said, there is no doubt in my mind that which is the greatest story ever told. And it is the story of our Savior's birth, which we just read together from Luke 2. I say that it's the undisputed greatest story ever told uh, because it's written by the greatest author, that being God himself. It's been written for the greatest audience, that being all people. Uh, And it communicates the greatest message, doesn't it? That unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I guess we could add the fact that it's also true. I don't think A Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge is true. Um, This one's true. Uh, This is the greatest story ever told. Now, here's the question I'll put to you tonight, a simple question. What is the greatest story ever told about Yes, I know, I know it's about Joseph and it's about Mary and it's about the birth of Jesus, our Savior in Bethlehem. I I know that, but it's about even more than that. And that's what makes this story so wonderful. So let's consider tonight some other things that the greatest story ever told is about. And the first of those other things is this. The greatest story ever told is a story about fulfilled prophecy. It's a story about fulfilled prophecy. About 700 years prior to the event spoken about in our text, the prophet Micah revealed to God's people where the Messiah would come from. Okay, this is what Micah says, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. All right, so all throughout the Old Testament, God's people are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, In the Garden of Eden, right, there is a promise of the coming Messiah. Moses talked about uh, a prophet who would be even greater than him who would come. David foretold the Messiah's coming. The prophets themselves foretold the Messiah's coming. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people hear about the coming of the Messiah, and they're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Micah adds to all of that expectation by telling God's people not just that the Messiah is is coming, but Micah goes on to tell them where exactly he's coming from. Micah's little piece of the Messiah prophecy is that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. What happens in Luke 2? Well, this one called the Messiah, the Christ, is born in Bethlehem. And you know, when we encounter fulfilled prophecy in Scripture, we ought not overlook that. No, fulfilled prophecy is here for our benefit and for our blessing. Uh, I'm reading a book right now. It's called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. It's written by a man named Costi Hinn. Uh, The name Hinn might sound familiar to you. Costi Hinn is the nephew of a man named Benny Hinn. I'm guessing some of you have heard of Benny Hinn. Well, anyway, Costi Hinn, he writes this book telling of his conversion from believing the prosperity gospel of his uncle Benny to believing the historic Christian faith. 
And in this book, Costi tells of one particular blow to his prosperity theology. He was in a bookstore and he came across a book entitled The Confusing World of Benny Hinn. He bought the book, he took the book home, he came to a section in the book where the author pointed out how a number of prophecies that Benny Hinn had made over the years were unfulfilled. And I'll read you an excerpt from the book. This is what Costi writes. One unfulfilled prophecy stood out to me. The authors had gotten a hold of a cassette tape for the December 31, 1989 Sunday night service. In the service, Uncle Benny prophesied, the Lord also tells me to tell you that in the mid-90s, about 1994 or 1995, no later than that, God will destroy the homosexual community of America. Hinn's declaration was greeted with loud applause from this congregation. Uncle Benny continued, but he will not destroy it with what many minds have thought him to be. He will destroy it with fire, and many will turn and be saved, and many will rebel and be destroyed. And then Costi says this, as I read, my mind exploded with shock, but denial quickly rushed in. I began to reason, frantically trying to process emotions and facts. God was going to burn all gay people by 1995? It had been more than 20 years since 1995, and we've yet to see fire come down from heaven on anyone. This was no typical Christian viewpoint on marriage being defined as between one man and one woman, nor was it one of those angry demands for homosexuals to repent. This was an unfulfilled prophecy, which meant my Uncle Benny would be considered a false prophet by the Bible's standard, end quote. And indeed, Costi was right. His Uncle Benny would be and is considered a false prophet by the Bible's standards. Deuteronomy 18.22 says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, this is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Of course, the fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament ought to have a complete opposite effect on us. I mean, when we see the words of Micah playing out 700 years after they were written, that is something that ought to get our attention. Now, maybe it's because the Bible comes to us in one package, right? It does. It comes to, this, is, this is one package. That's how the Bible comes to us. And maybe, maybe that's why these fulfilled prophecies don't, don't excite us as they ought. But I think we always need to remember, right? This wasn't all written at once. No, this was written over the span of hundreds and even thousands of years, with Micah being written 700 years before Christ was born. And that's not just Pastor Dirk saying what he thinks. I mean, even unbelieving scholars would date Micah's prophecy to roughly 700 B.C. So these words in Micah, they were written 700 years before Christ was born. And so when Christ is born in Bethlehem, as Micah said he would be 700 years earlier, what is God saying to us? God is saying, you can trust me. God is saying, my word is reliable. My word 
is unlike any other words written on any other page. Okay, this is a story of fulfilled prophecy. When the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, God is not just, God is not just saying, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. God is also saying, my word is truth. It's truth. So this is, this is a story of fulfilled prophecy. What else is this story about? Well, this is, this is a story of God's sovereignty. The prophet Micah said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And as Luke 2 tells us, the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. I always find it delightful to see how the Messiah comes to be born in Bethlehem. Is that where his parents lived? Is that where his dad was working? No. The Messiah comes to be born in Bethlehem because of a decree made by Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Okay? He comes to be born in Bethlehem because of the decree of a pagan ruler who has no regard for the living God and likely has never read the book of Micah. And isn't this a, isn't this a wonder that God uses the, the mighty and proud Roman Empire to serve as an unconscious agent in his plan of redemption. Phil Riken says, what at first appeared to be a great show of Caesar's power actually proved the supremacy of God's sovereignty. Even Caesar's decree was part of the divine plan. Right, if you're watching this unfold, <laughs> Here's Mary and Joseph in, in, in Nazareth. God, how are you going to get to an eight-and-a-half-month pregnant woman a hundred miles south? It doesn't seem like she's going to make it to Bethlehem, God. Oh, lo and behold, a pagan ruler issues a decree which leaves her with no choice. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, right? That's what Psalm 2 says. It is so. We ought to find tremendous comfort in all this this evening because we, too, we live in a world... Uh, where, where kings and rulers and presidents and prime ministers and congressmen and governors, many of them, most of them, have little regard for the living God, right? We live in a day when nations and people and terrorists rebel against God and his word in the most grievous of ways, and this can be frightening. This can throw us, this can throw us for a loop, but the good news is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sovereign hand which attended the world at our Savior's birth is still the sovereign hand that attends the world today. We might not know why things happen or why they are happening, we can be, but we can be sure. We can be sure even now that God is in control and God's good plans for his people will not be thwarted. Right? The story is about God's sovereignty. The story tells us that though the wrong is off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Finally, finally, it's Christmas Eve. Maybe you'll get out a little early. We'll see how loud this last point goes. This is a story of profound mystery. It's a story of profound 
mystery. Mary gives birth to a son, and Mary wraps him in claws and lays him in a manger. And then something happens, doesn't it? We read it in verses 8 through 14. I'll just read it again. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. No, I like it. They were sore afraid. You can't beat that one, right? The King James Version. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was this great company of the heavenly hosts praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So Mary, Mary gives birth to a son. She lays him in a manger and out in the fields nearby all heaven breaks loose. I love what R.C. Sproul writes in his book The Glory of Christ. He says, Jesus' life was marked by humiliation and suffering. His humanity served as a veil that concealed the splendor of his deity. Yet there were moments when his glory shone through. It was as if his human nature wasn't strong enough to conceal his glory at all times. And one of those times where it seems, where it seems that Jesus' human nature just wasn't quite strong enough to conceal his glory was here at his birth, when while he lies in a manger, glory, glory breaks out in the fields nearby. And as this glory breaks out in the fields, we, we remember and we notice, don't we? This is, this is no ordinary child. No, no, this is, this is a special child. This child is God in the flesh. This is the self-existent one who is now dependent on his mother for survival. This is the mighty God who cries in the night. This is, this is the God of Psalm 139 from whose spirit there is no escape, who lies confined in a manger. Like seriously, how, how can this be? One theologian says, it is by far the most amazing miracle in the whole Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection, and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the omni infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to human nature forever, so that infinite God could become one person with finite man, will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and most profound mystery in all the universe. It's a story of profound mystery. One of my favorite Christmas songs uh, is the song called Here With Us by Joy Williams. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. If you're not, uh, go, like, go like Spotify it or whatever you do on your way home. Pull it up on YouTube. Here With Us by Joy Williams. In this song, she really just dwells 
on the profound mystery of the incarnation and of Christmas. And I love, I love kind of what happens in this. I wish I, wish I could sing it, right? I'm not even going to do that to you. But uh, go, let's do it for yourself. But th- this is what she does. She, she dwells, right, on the mystery of the incarnation. She says, it's still a mystery to me that the hands of God could be so small. How tiny fingers reaching in the night were the very hands that measured the sky. And then after she gets done dwelling on it, the chorus is just hallelujah, hallelujah. Right? That, that's how the chorus goes. And she says it with a big, booming, beautiful voice. But, but that's about all you can say when you ponder the mystery of the incarnation. Hallelujah. Second verse, it's still a mystery to me how his infant eyes have seen the dawn of time. How his ears have heard an angel's symphony, but Mary still had to rock her Savior to sleep. And then she says it again, hallelujah. What else can you say? That's where the profound mystery of Christmas brings us. It brings us to a place where where the only thing we can say is hallelujah. Hallelujah, God is with us. Hallelujah, God has come to save us. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallelujah. That is, our, that is our exclamation of faith tonight. We thank you for the gift of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. We thank you that the, that the infinite became finite, that the omnipotent became frail, that the omniscient one subjected himself to the limits even of human knowledge. Indeed, Lord, it's still a a mystery to us. But as we behold it again this Christmas Eve, we say hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.